Welcome to Church Matters Podcast, episode number seven for SGC Marlton, New Jersey. I'm Jason Reyes, executive pastor here, and with me again is our very own Warren Betcher, senior pastor of Sovereign Grace Church. I'm encouraged every week when you say our very own that I'm still having a, I still have a job. So You still have a place here, brother. So thank you for that encouragement. We have a few things that we want to get into, but we want to just, again, follow up on this past Sunday. We just completed week seven from our series, What's Love Got to Do With It? This past week's message was on building love, and it was really just focused in upon Ephesians 4.29. Just maybe some big picture things in terms of why this message for this series. What is the impact and the import? as you were thinking through this series? Well, first, thank you for serving us so well with the message. Oh, my uh, pleasure. And I know you did labor and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, and people don't see those rewrites. They don't see our editing floors. If they saw the paper on the editing floor, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's on a computer just now. But it, it At least be, for some people. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's paper. <laughs> the amount of work that goes into that, and you served us with excellence, and I think really captured that text and captured what my goal was for the text. And it is about our words. Mm -hmm. So I think believing scripture teaches this, particularly Proverbs, James, but this text, Ephesians 4.29, our words have great power and they have great power to build up. We don't want to just think of the power oh, yeah. they have to build down, you know, to tear down, right. but they have great power to build up. Think of his theology, you know, one of the ways we image God is through words. Right, he right. He spoke, and he's a speaking God. One of the ways we bear image of with God is that we speak words, and his words are powerful. And they can be powerful in judgment, rebuke, but powerful in grace. Right. And so we're imaging things in that way. So that's why this text was so important, uh, the effect of our words on one another. And I think we tend to take our words casually. I take them casually in my home. And you can say something very cutting, very quickly, that really wounds. And even when you say you're sorry, it doesn't necessarily take away the wound. People forgive, but you don't, you can't retract words once right. they're said. And Proverbs warns a lot about rash words. Yep. You know, there's healing words, there's rash words. Right. The importance of slow to speak. And many words, where there's many words, there's sin. Right. Uh, right. bound. So there's all this talk. And that's why this was such an important text. And for our church, I think this is one of our areas of growth. And it may be true in every church. Right. Uh, so I don't want to make it unique to us in that way. But I thought, well, this may be one of the areas I would be aware of talking without thinking, not listening, talking about problems with people that are not part of the problem. And you right. hit that in the text. Just the function of complaining. Yeah, how complaining. That really works. You find someone who shares the similar complaint. Right. And you might actually be very accurate about the complaint. So right. it's not that the complaint may be <laughs> no, wrong exactly. or the input's wrong. <laughs> it's you're just talking to the wrong people. And the wrong things are happening in your heart about the complaint. Complaints go to suspicion. And once suspicion gets lodged, it's very hard to win trust back. Even as Proverbs warns us, a brother offended, very hard to win back. So what happens when those things happen? And we have to address that. So that's why this was such an important text. I did start off with understanding the, uh, the difference between the indicatives of the gospel mm -hmm. and the imperatives of the gospel. You can reframe it as justifying grace versus understanding sanctifying grace. How would you share this with someone that's maybe for the first time? It's like, wait a second, salvation is all of works, but now you're telling me that I have to do something. How would you help them navigate right. that? Justifying grace, you either have it or you don't. Right. And you have it all or you have none. So it's an all or nothing proposition. That's how you think about justifying grace. So we have that by faith alone, right. in Christ alone, and, and by his grace alone. I think in justifying grace, it's believing that Christ died for my sins. Mm -hmm. And then all his righteousness is imputed to me. Right. So all right. my sin, in one sense, has been imputed to him, and all his righteousness imputed to me. 
So you never can grow in that righteousness right, right. in standing there. before God. Yep. It's there. Always. Always. So the greatest saint yep. is no more justified than the least saint. Yep. And it the is oldest saint is no amazing. more justified than the newest saint. Amen. And it's amazing. And it's a gift. Yep. So that's only something we can receive we can't earn. And we have to move from that indicative of Christ has done all this for me. I have the righteous robes of Christ. I am fully accepted in the beloved. And that will never improve. And it's a status that's unchanged. Right. So the penalty has been broken, you know, for sin. Yes. And plus the enslaving power of sin right. has been broken, you know, right. forever, which gives us newfound power. Right. And as part of the rescuing grace to redeem a people, right, right of his very own, as it says in uh, Titus 2. So tell us about the imperatives then, the imperatives of the gospel or sanctifying grace. Though. Yeah. And sanctifying grace, I, I think on the other side, this is where we cooperate. So uh -huh. this is the cooperative side. Doesn't improve our standing, but it is the cooperative side. We have God to grow to be more Christ-like. Mm -hmm. I love Philippians 2 that mm -hmm. talks about uh, the way to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Right. Now, it doesn't stop there. Right. I love the next verse, uh, 4. For it's a God who's at work within us both to will and to do. Yep. Amen. So you say, well, who's involved in our sanctification? Is the spirit who's to will and to do? It's the spirit of God. Right. And it's you. Right. And both are true at the same time. And I think if we understand that at the end, even when we see that we've made progress in sanctification, maybe it's with our words. Mm -hmm where I'd be given to gossip or suspicion, hurtful words, angry words, and seeing God change you, you're aware of your effort, I think, in the process. And at the end, I think you're aware that it was at God. Yep. It was at work with me to both to will and to do. And I think we, instead of congratulating ourselves, oh yeah, no, we, we congratulate God. <laughs> and we see God did something to us that we would have never done on our own. But I think in the process, we're very aware. When I'm angry, I'm very aware of will I express it or not express it. And that's where I think we mortify, mm -hmm. we mortify with the Spirit. Right, right. <laughs> so again, even Romans 8 right. talks to the cooperative work in sanctification. So what is it then? So you talk about anger or you talk about complaining or anything. So what is it that ultimately is driving that from our hearts? Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, for it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Right. So what is it in terms of that's what sanctifying grace is trying to attack? Sure. Humans, we're both simple. We're not as complicated as we think. Sometimes mm -hmm. we think, you know, we're so unique that right, right, nobody right. can understand and, and we're more complex than anybody else. I think sins are common. Our temptations are common. In that sense, we're common. But right. we're also, I think, complex. Jeremiah 17, 9, right, right. the heart is deceitful. Right. Above who all can all know all. it? Yep. You know, above all things, who can know it? And I think that's saying we have mixed motivations. There okay. can be mixture. And I think there's some things that motivate us in one times that don't motivate us in the same. So to answer your question, I think there's different motivations. So sometimes it's desires. Mm -hmm. I want peace. Good desires. Good desire. <laughs> I just want peace. I want everybody to be happy. And that's not happening. And now I react in anger. Sometimes it's pride. I want to be right. I want my opinion validated. I want my opinion listened to and acted upon. Right. Really, I want my preference respected. And when my preference isn't respected, my opinion's not listened to. These leaders or somebody in my family's not listening to what I think should happen. I get angry. Fear's another motivation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think time. with things like fear, desire, and pride, but fear can be, I'm afraid of something. So my words are going to get to become many to control the outcome. And now I get into when I'm trying to control the outcome and it's still not working, I'll add more words. And I think you illustrated that in your message with your sons. With my own sons. So yeah. you go from guilt right. to a threat, threat to a bribe 
Right, manipulation. Um, we all can have that. Think about parenting. Right. We can be very fearful. Where's my child going to go if there's a trajectory to this behavior if I've got to stop that now? And then we become very controlling. So I think fear often leads to a desire for control. That's going to play out in our words. And when we control eludes us, we bring other things back to bear. Right. Anger, intimidation, uh, all things I've done in my home. Do you think it is interesting is that with the, the desire to control from fear being motivated, it is interesting. There is a sense of we don't trust God. God right. in that. And so what we would want to do is we want to become God and use words, you know, to actually become a God, to control everything. We can't change, you know, anyone's heart. Only God can. So it does present us with a desperation. So my, if that's true, then my words want to be in line mm -hmm. with that. And, mm -hmm. um, and obviously we're growing, right? Mm -hmm. As individuals, right. both in our relationship with our wives, with our children, right. with you, with grandchildren, right. with relationships here within the church and friendships that we have and so forth. The thing that really struck me the most was that corrupting talk ruins our witness, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so this goes back to the new command that mm -hmm. he preached on a few weeks ago from John 13. How would you say that our corrupting talk, how does that ruin, if you will, or mute our witness to a watching world around us? Well, if we think John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And so, well, this love is supposed to transform us mm -hmm. in many ways, our character, but in our relationships and our words. And I think when the world comes in and says, you speak just like everybody else, right. what do you have to say? You get angry over petty things when your will's not one. Right. Uh, I mean, sin is the essence of the assertion of my will in the situations. And like, well, what happens when your will is not acquiesced to, you know? You, you react the same as the world. Right. You say you love, but then I see division. I see bitterness. That's no different than the world. And sometimes you can go to clubs where there's just friendship and people feel like those people accept me in a way that the church doesn't. Right. Uh, when I mess up, they tend to be there where the church can react in a different way. We have to both receive the big hearted love of God mm -hmm. in our own hearts. We'll be done the series and we could teach it all over again. We're, we're not going to grasp no. this all. No, not at in all. In thinking one series does that, it yep. doesn't. It's how is the big heart of love affecting me, God's love to me, affecting me every day? And then how is that now play in my family? Mm -hmm. So that's even there. What happens in families? Well, when Christian family stats can be similar to the world's right, right. of division and divorce, divorce, rate, yeah. divorce yeah. rate, what's the church have to say? That's how it mutes our verse. We end up looking no different. Right. We get petty. We get prejudice. <laughs> right. Uh, we don't resolve conflict. Right. We hold grievance. Your, your gospel seems to be, doesn't seem to have really done anything. When I think, too, of the, the church over time, since I've been a part and so forth, there does seem to be so many things that come in to try to hijack first importance mm -hmm. in the church and they become secondary issues. Secondary issues could be in terms of uh, your decisions of how to educate your children, right? Absolutely. So, so homeschooling almost becomes a gospel truth right. that we've got to die on that hill for, yep. you know, to preserve and to protect. As if the whole reason for homeschooling, if it's just simply to protect your kids from the evil influence of sin, well, we failed right from the very beginning right. because there's sin already residing in our child's heart. Homeschooling is not going to necessarily do that. You know yes. what I'm saying? But we can elevate these things. So it can be you know, essential oils mm -hmm. to uh, you think of all the alternative medicine or it can be, you know, pro-vaccination versus uh, anti-vaccination yes. and, and all these other things. It, what are some of the things that you've seen over the years that's like, wait a second, we have allowed secondary issues to really go ahead and hijack really our unity. Right. So what would be some of the things that you've seen? Well, well certainly homeschool will be one of those examples for our church. 
That's not a critique, by oh, the no. way, not of homeschool. Right. But that would be one. The whole dating question. Yep. What's right and wrong? I think there are great wisdom principles. In fact, I would <laughs> venture to say I wouldn't change anything I've mm-hmm. taught on some of these issues. But you want to make sure you don't get them in the wrong proportion and that you're not self-righteous. So I think that was certainly what was your view of that. That could be a, a big issue. I think politics I've seen, and mm-hmm. that would probably be one of my oh, yeah, for greater for concerns. Yeah. I think now there's even more to bear. It used to be there was one issue. It used to be, if you go 30 <laughs> years ago, 40 years ago, it was abortion. Yeah, yeah. That was the only issue. We would say scripture speaks to that issue very clearly. That could also be a distracting issue. Your goal becomes working on social change. So we would say, yeah, that's important. You should have convictions. The church should live out those convictions. But that's not primary to the gospel. And even our words to build up. Yes. Right? And even how that was done, there was, there was places where that probably would have been done in very godly ways, in other ways, very ungodly ways. Godly goals must have godly methods. Yep. And if they don't, they're not godly. And I think Christians often have sacrificed their methods mm-hmm. to their goals. All these things right. play today. There's always going to be another issue coming down. And so what's primary to what's good and secondary? Yeah, it is interesting because there are so many things that we can make primary, yes. right? And, and so worship preferences. Worship preferences. Uh, we can talk about you know, children's ministry and mm-hmm. how this should be structured or, or youth ministry. And that mm-hmm. becomes primary. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all of these things that you don't even see in Scripture. Right. <laughs> you, you know, say, it's like their worship, they praise God. You know, say it doesn't mm-hmm. say anything in terms of style. You right. know, or anything. It's just that the, the words were edifying, you know, to one another and they built up. That should be the litmus of what we're doing in terms of our diet. But in terms of how it's played and um, stylistic choices and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that's so secondary. Uh, yeah. But we can make those primary. Yeah. Um, I've even heard in, in one one church uh, an illustration, a, a friend of mine who is going to this church that's been around for hundreds of years, that he and his wife were on the um, redecorating committee mm-hmm. you know, for this church. And ended up people leaving the church over the choice of carpets oh, that was used for yes. it. And it's like, yeah, that's so petty. And we can look at those things and say, wow, that's so ridiculous. That shouldn't be. And totally miss our own hearts right. and how we can cling to preferences right. that really are secondary right. of importance. And, but we'll hold the preferences to go ahead and trump our obedience mm-hmm. to even fulfilling this commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I, I, I know for myself, that's where it's like the Lord has really been kind of right. gripping my own heart. Say, right. wait a second, dude, you got to pay attention to yes. this. Because if you don't, you're not using your words, which I give to you right. to build others up. Right. You're resounding God. Dude. Yeah. And I think pastors have to be equally concerned about this. Oh, absolutely. Because we bring our set of preferences. Absolutely. (laughs) So we have to make sure that we're looking first to ourselves. Yep. Because we might think we're leading, when really we're just exercising preferences. Right. And we should be listening to others as well. So I think there's there's certainly give and take in that. And we don't want to miss the gospel implications. No, absolutely. But we have to have gospel clarity and gospel mission clarity. Absolutely. Well, don't know if any of this has been helpful to anybody that's listening or not. Hopefully it has. But a couple of book recommendations. Uh, If you want to go deeper on this, Paul Tripp's War of Words is a really good book. It really speaks to our communication. And by the way, we stayed away from James intentionally, which speaks a lot about the tongue and talks about what causes fights and quarrels among you. It gives a great diagnosis. Uh, We're going to be actually preaching through James, which is one of the reasons why I stayed away from it this past week. 
Uh, so we'll have more opportunity. But there's also our very own Tim Shorey uh, has just written uh, and released a book it's called Respect the Image. I know you've been uh, mm-hmm. reading through it. Tell us that the seminar that we have coming up that we're going to be hosting, Tim. Yeah, on October 24th, uh, it's an all-day seminar, and it's about respecting the image and how that affects our communication. Yeah. And the title, if you think about it, and you can discern that, we're made in the image of God. That has an implication for how we treat one another and right. how we talk to one another. Excellent. Even unbelievers, all people. Right. So we respect the image. We respect the gospel call that is to the world. God's heart of redemption is global. Right. Right. And it's diverse. Right. So we respect those in that intent, that gospel intent, but respect the image. And so we're very much looking forward to this. Yeah. I think this affects not just church life, but this affects your family life. Exactly. How are you talking to one another's husband and wife? How are you talking to your children? And I think it will serve us in our families, which will strengthen families. It'll strengthen our church and our relationships. So I'm very excited. Yeah, I am too. So, and that we'll hear more about that, but that's coming up October 24th. So please church. If you're listening, save the date. We have our annual ministry team fair that's coming up this Sunday. So I just want to ask you a couple of things. First off, what ministries have you served in just over your time, your lifetime of being in the church? Many. So I was the chair guy for probably a decade. All right. So Uh, setting up chairs. We had set up chairs. So that was me. And then my sons, we were committed to set up chairs in a certain way, in a certain (laughs) pattern. Uh, We had people sometimes move chairs just to tweak them, to watch me go back and rearrange them. Uh, So we did that a long time. And, yep. and I think there were other setup things. Uh-huh. I was involved, you know, taking sound equipment back and forth. And then we just had so many other heroes that did that and people that never would have seen that. But men, really significant careers, demanding careers, you know, that were involved. This is where, you know, I highlighted Mark Bailey, who oh, yeah. Yeah. for years, yep. years, you know, son, his day off started Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. and yep. usually ended around 2 p.m., you know, lugging equipment up to a second floor and bringing it down and taking it back up. And you form so much relationships through oh, that. Absolutely. There is so much laughter you absolutely. have through those kinds of things. Yep. So it's a great way to just start to own the church. Yeah. Yeah. I remember after one week of visiting the church down in Maryland, uh, when my parents and I, when we moved to Maryland, when I was 15, brother asked me, hey, we have set up, you know, on Sunday mornings, we were meeting in a school. Uh, would you like to be a part of the team? And I was like, sure. Great. He says, that's great. I'll be by your house, pick you up at seven o'clock. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm like, oh, so this is what this entails. But doing that for years right. and, and just enjoying it. I, even when I went away to school for college, we were meeting in a school and it was a similar setup. And just the relationships that you develop as well, you yeah. know, are great. But give me some of the beyond the, hey, this is a great opportunity to serve. Give me some of the biblical definition for why do we use our gifts to serve one another in the local church? It builds the local church. Yeah. I think it also helps us to be sanctified and it supports. There's ways we can use our gifts that are very meaningful to us because they're really employing maybe our temperaments. Right, right, and right. Gifts that we have. We need to see but our we time. We can't always do that. We need to see our time <laughs> as a gift too and a resource. Yeah, that's good. And so we can do that in very uninspiring ways. So mm-hmm. I served on a parking crew. Yep. I was an usher yep. in the church. That's different different than maybe teaching mm-hmm. or singing, doing those things that are a little bit bigger, even praying, being on a ministry team where you're laying hands on someone, praying, ministering that way. But we need to do those other things or you can't, we can't do that. It's just taking up the cross. It's taking on the nature of a servant. The Bible talks a lot about servants. They just sort of come in and you hear how Jesus talks about being a servant. He talks very profoundly about it. So we don't find our identity. That's good for us. Yeah. There's the mission of the church. It builds the church. There's the personal sanctification. There's relational building. There are many ways. That's good. And we need everyone to, to do their part, if yep. you will. Probably the greatest advice that I ever received early on was just see where there's a need and meet it. 
You right. know, if you can go ahead and be a part of it in teaching children's ministry and didn't necessarily feel like that's my calling or anything mm-hmm. like that, but there was a need and grateful for mm-hmm. the, the relationships that developed over that time. And then also the opportunity to serve sometimes in secret where nobody yep. sees, but just being aware. God sees, God, God sees. knows, you know, and it's pleasing to him, you know, and it gives great joy for why we're doing it. So it's taking place this Sunday. Love to see if you're not involved in a ministry, please, 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 please. Take a gander, but sign up. Make that be your goal, mm-hmm. you know, for this Sunday to sign up for a ministry uh, and, and participate in that way. What's love got to do with it? Just a, a few uh, other things just before we bring our episode to a close. A scripture memory challenge, again, is still ongoing. Now you have seven verses that we can be doing as a church. Please go ahead and post those to social media. You can go ahead and see the link on our website that you can go ahead and do that through. We'd love, again, to be able to do this together and really have been enjoying it and excited about our next series that's going to be coming up. Can you just give me in 15 seconds, what are we doing after what's love got to do with it? We're going to do five of the I am statements that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. Excellent. This is a great way to go into Easter. Yes, yes. Focusing all our attention on Christ. Excellent. Really looking forward to that. Um, and you'll be hearing a little bit more of that, that over the next couple of weeks as well uh, in the different resources that we've prepared for that series. Well, as always, Warren, thank you so much for being a part. You too, Church. This concludes episode seven of Church Matters. So grateful for you continuing to submit questions. And we would love to entertain more questions that you guys might have. But please like us on different social media platforms. And by all means, thank Kenny Smith when you see him for all of the work that he does of helping to edit and produce this podcast on a weekly basis. So thank you, Kenny. Appreciate it. Thank you, Warren. Thank you.